Well, tonight we're in the Gospel of Mark, and so I'll ask you to turn there. The Gospel according to Mark. The good news about Jesus Christ according to Mark. And we're in Mark chapter 10 this evening in our verse-by-verse study. And specifically tonight we're looking at this issue of divorce. Jesus is asked a significant question about divorce, and He is answering it. We will be answering this question along with Him in the Word uh, this Sunday and next Sunday, and I believe that will be all. But by way of introduction, let me say that it certainly is sad to see how popular divorce is in our world. It's a sad thing. According to the Vital Statistics Report, Monthly Vital Statistics Report, there are over 1 million divorces per year in our country. In 1994, going back just a little ways, according to one source, divorced persons were the fastest growing segment of the unmarried population. Their number quadrupled from 4 million in 1970 to 17 million in 1994. Note the progression. This is according to the U.S. Census Bureau. In 1920, one divorce for every seven marriages. 1940, one divorce for every six marriages. 1960, one divorce for every four marriages. 1972, one divorce for every three marriages. And you see where this is going. By 1977, it's a one to two ratio. And so it's been something that's been around forever since uh, time began, really, or shortly thereafter. But you have seen, even in our culture, in our nation, it's growing as far as speed, and it's something that's very, very popular, one out of every two, at least according to the statistics I've received. I think it's fair to say that 50 years ago, at least in our country, uh, parents were apt to have a lot of kids. And today, kids are apt to have a lot of parents. Uh, it's quite different, as different from what it had been in the past. Well, certainly that is sad, and see how popular that is. But I think it's also sad to see the fracture that comes between two people who once said they loved each other and would for life. I think it's sad to see the devastating impact on children that are involved. And perhaps what's the saddest for me is to see that the professing church of Jesus Christ is pretty much right there with the world. So the question really is, uh, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to view this whole thing? It's real. I mean, we have significant ministry opportunities, but we need to make sure we know what God says. How should we view divorce? How should we view marriage? And really, that's the issue. And how should we view remarriage? And we'll talk about that really next week. It's something we need to grapple with. Even as I was working on this study, I was completing my notes. This was a couple of weeks ago. I was here at church on a Saturday and uh, really getting done and putting finishing touches on my notes and got a phone call just then from a man who is a Christian, whose wife is a professing Christian, and how fitting, in a very sour way, as I'm getting ready to print my notes, he's calling me to ask me if we know of anyone who could babysit his children, his seven children, because his professing believer wife just left him because she met someone new at her new job. I thought, I just could not believe that. I could believe it, but it just seems so strange because of what I was studying. So really, the issue before us is, what should we do as a church? I think we have significant ministry opportunities. But we need to make sure we start with understanding ourselves. What does God say about marriage? What does He say about divorce? What does He say about remarriage? As we'll talk about next time. And so what we want to do tonight is turn to the Word, and that's where we go as God's people. And our goal really, and let me make sure this is clear, please don't miss this tonight. What we want to do with the Bible is we want to draw the line where God draws it, 
We need to be very, very careful that we draw that line just as thick as he draws the line. We can't compromise. We can't waver. But one thing we need to make sure we don't do then is to draw that line thicker than God draws that line. I think there's confusion on both sides. We need to make sure we're biblical about this and make sure we don't try to be more conservative than God does, but every bit as conservative as God, God is, right? Isn't that what we want to do? Absolutely, that's what we want to do. So tonight, in Mark, we will answer the divorce question. Here's how we'll do it. We'll do it in three ways, and you can jot this down by way of outline. We'll get done with the first two ways tonight. Three ways we will see Jesus answer the divorce question. Number one, Jesus answers the divorce question by exposing illegitimate Bible application. Bet you didn't think we were going to start there. <laughs> we're, we're going to answer the divorce question by exposing, Jesus does this, illegitimate Bible application. If that doesn't make any sense to you, that's fine. We'll get there in the text. And that's in verses 3 through 5. Verses 3 through 5. The second way Jesus answers the divorce question is by expressing God's plan for marriage. By expressing God's plan for marriage. And we see that in verses 6 through 9. And I think that's really the crux of the issue. You can star that one. That's really the focus. And then thirdly, and we'll see this next time, Jesus answers the divorce question by emphasizing the seriousness of divorce. By emphasizing the seriousness of divorce. And that's in verses 10 through 12. And let me say, this is another important note. What we will do tonight is stick strictly stay with this passage, and then next week we'll finish this passage. But then next week we will also look at all of the rest of Scripture as it deals with divorce. We'll broaden our view of Revelation. Because Mark 10 is not the final word on divorce, so to speak. It's the final word because Jesus spoke it. But Jesus said other things about divorce. And so what I want to do tonight is, is use more of the rifle approach, and we're only going to look just at this passage. But if you only hear tonight's message and you only hear this focus, you're not going to hear all that God has to say about it. Next week it's more the shotgun approach. It's the broad approach. And we want to make sure we do that. We don't want to be like those uh, who were the Samaritans, as I recall. Uh, the Samaritans, they only accepted part of God's revelation. They only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. And if you remember in John chapter 4, Jesus strongly rebuked the Samaritan woman because of her theology. He basically, in, in less words than this, and in, in more words than this, said, you are wrong and you have bad theology. Because the Samaritans were different than the Jews because they only accepted part of Scripture. We, we don't want to be practically like Samaritans. We want to make sure we know what God says about it in his, all of His revelation. So again, you'll have a skewed view in one sense if you walk out of here tonight and don't come back. <laughs> what a way to bring you back, I suppose. But, uh, but here's what I don't want to do. If I were to try to give you all that God says about it tonight, I think it would soften the blow, so to speak. And I don't want to do that. I want the blow to be as strong as it is here in Mark 10. No apologies. But you need to understand that there's more said, and we'll talk about that next time. Does that make sense? I want to make sure that we leave this as harsh as we need it to be. And then say, hey, there's more to be said, and we will say that. And they both complement each other. There's no contradiction. And before we go any further, let's go ahead and read these 12 verses together. I'll read, and if you just want to go ahead and listen and follow along. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea. And beyond the Jordan, crowds gathered around him again. 
And according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Pretty strong, pretty clear. And what I'd like to do now is go to the setting and set it up in the first couple of verses and then begin to deal with answering that question. As far as the setting and the occasion, go back to verse 1 where he says, Getting up. It says he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Well, you need to know something as we're studying Mark. A whole lot happened between the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10. There's a lot that went on there that Mark doesn't record. I don't know why. Perhaps as, uh, he's obviously under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Apparently we do know Mark's writing to Gentile audience and obviously he thought that the Gentile audience didn't need to know all the information between chapters 9 and in 10 as far as events that happened. You could go there. You don't need to go there now. But Matthew 18 happens in between here. John 7 through 11 happens in between here. Luke 9:57 through Luke 18:14 happens there. That's like one-third of Luke happens between chapters 9 and 10. So there is a whole lot there and we're not going to delve into that. We'll do that when we study those other Gospels. So that's something you need to know. And let's go on in verse 1. He says, Crowds gathered around him again. And according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. So you see the, the change. He went from private instruction. Once again, it's public, public instruction. And so he's teaching a group here on this occasion. And he is the master teacher. And he's teaching them as was his custom. Then verse 2, he's interrupted. Notice. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. So now he's interrupted. What's interesting is Jesus already talked about divorce. And the Pharisees would have already heard him talk about divorce. Matthew chapter 5 was the occasion chronologically. You can jot that down. So this isn't new. I take it they didn't even really need new information. He had already set the record straight. And now again they're asking the question in this public forum. Matthew 5.31, he already dealt with this. So then the question comes, and I'm going to pose it to you, why did they ask again? Why are they asking them again? They pretty much already understood. What's going on here? Notice in your Bible in verse 2, what are they doing? Two words. Testing him. I don't think they needed a theology of divorce at this point in time. They're testing him. They want to draw something out of him. Perhaps they're trying to to, uh, lure him out, and they're trying to get him to say something wrong. Some incriminating evidence because they want him dead. They want to silence him. Remember this, John the Baptist lost his dear head, right? Literally. And what did John the Baptist lose his head for? Particularly the incident was he was confronting someone about his sexual sin, about a problem. That's what John the Baptist lost his head over. And note this, Herod was the one, right? Herod was also the governing authority in Judea. 
So it may very well be. That's why the Pharisees want to test him. They want to get him to make this public statement about what he believes. And perhaps, hopefully, as a result of that, Herod's going to be just as mad at Jesus as John the Baptist, and he's going to cut his head off too. They're crafty guys, if that's what's going on. They probably sought the same fate for Jesus. Now, here's another interesting thing here before we go any further. They came to test him. Mark uses that, to my knowledge, four times. Three times, the Pharisees are testing Jesus. Do you remember way back in chapter 1, who was testing Jesus? Satan was. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting, and I don't want to make too big of a deal out of it, but here's Satan, he's into testing Jesus, and Pharisees, they're into testing him. They're trying to get him to say something wrong so they can have some kind of incriminating evidence. They're doing Satan's work, if I can go that far. What's also interesting is that Satan, trying to he's testing Jesus by mishandling the Scriptures. Guess what we're going to see happen here in Mark chapter 10? The Pharisees are going to test Jesus. They're going to try to catch Him. And they're mishandling the Scriptures too. I couldn't help but notice the parallels. It's interesting. Well, regardless of the reason, they want to make Jesus say something self-condemning. I don't know exactly what they're getting at, but I don't think they're trying to learn more about divorce. Now we get to that first way, as I've called it. The first way Jesus answers the divorce question, and that's by exposing illegitimate Bible application. And again, you probably think, okay, (laughs) but what do you mean by that? And we'll get to that as we go, I think. He's going to expose their error. Look at verse 3, if you would. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? You've got to love that. Back to the Bible. That's the way Jesus deals with people. Well, what did Moses command you? Let's deal with this on a biblical level. That's a safe way to respond to them. And I do love it that Jesus, you know, the frequent tactic of Jesus, he's the master teacher. What does he do? He answers their question with a question. He's being very careful. He is the master teacher, absolutely. And notice this too, they would have considered Moses their hero. They are using Moses as their authority. And so they're really into Moses, and they should be in one sense. But what does Jesus do? Jesus turns to their hero, the one they considered their authority, at least by profession. And now Jesus is off the hot seat, and they're on the hot seat. Well, what did Moses tell you to do? Then verse 4. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now, on the surface, you think these guys are slouches? They're pretty quick. They're sharp. Jesus asked them a question, kind of a Bible question, and they right away cite the Scripture. Well, here's what Moses told us. I mean, they have their proof text, right? They have their verse. They know. Isn't it interesting? People, most people know the Bible to a certain degree. Oftentimes people know the Bible. They have those verses, those pet verses, even unbelievers, that they can cite to try to get themselves off the hook to substantiate their own sin, right? Absolutely. The, the one I always... Judge not, lest you be judged. And you always use that one. It's like, do you have any clue about what that's even talking about in the context? But I'm just venting at this point in time. But you see, <laughs> they're using Scripture and they know Scripture enough at least to defend themselves in their unbiblical position. It is amazing how I think we could even be guilty of such a thing. I know those verses, and I can even try to use Scripture to substantiate what I'm saying. It rolls off their tongue. They were right on it. But what's the problem here? 
The problem is they're quoting Old Testament. They're quoting Deuteronomy 24. Don't go there quite yet. We'll go there. They're using Deuteronomy 24 and they're applying it. But their application, get this, is built upon a faulty interpretation. And that's, I think that's an epidemic. It's always been and it is today and it probably always will be. You have a faulty interpretation of the text and so then you build your application on that and what does that lead to? At least to sin. And that's exactly what they're doing. They have their proof text. Sometimes when we're even being more condescending, we call that spoof texting. It's wrong. It's not right. They're using it to prove something that's not even true and that the Bible never taught. They're trying to use this out of its context as license. Yeah, I can use Scripture to prove that it's okay if I put my wife away from me and I divorce her for whatever reason. Well, before we look at Deuteronomy, let's see Jesus' response in verse 5. He says in verse 5, But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment. What's going on here? Point being, what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 24, I'm reading this because I want to get this right, what I wrote down. Point being, what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 24 was not a sanction from God on divorce. It was a regulation that God brought because of their sinful practice. Try to make a contrast there. It was not a sanction saying it's okay to do it. But because they were doing it and they were committing this sin, God did give a regulation on this issue. And if that doesn't make enough sense, I think it will as we go along in this. But one thing's for certain, Deuteronomy 24 is not a command to say it's okay, you can divorce your wife. But when people were going to divorce their wife and send her away, there were certain regulations that needed to be followed. And that's what we'll see. It's not a command. It's not a permission slip. It's not a license to steal. It's not a license to divorce. Let's go ahead and go to Deuteronomy 24. Back in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Back to Deuteronomy 24. This is what they're claiming. This is their permission slip, so to speak, for divorce. I had to go through today and X out a bunch of my notes. I just became fascinated with Deuteronomy 24. I mean, I spent way too much time studying Deuteronomy 24, and I'm going to spare you that. I just at least want to see. This is what they're quoting or referring to. And you're going to be amazed. It doesn't substantiate what they're saying. Notice what it says in verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and that's not sexual immorality, by the way, because Deuteronomy 22 says that she would be stoned. She, he just finds an indecency in her. He doesn't really have grounds for doing this. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from out of his house. Then he goes on to explain what to do. If you do that, here's what you do. In verse 2, she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his, uh, to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife since she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance." And what I'm not going to do with crossed out notes here is deal with this whole text here. Only to say, and hopefully you're thinking like I was thinking the first time I read it, I thought, this isn't permission to get a divorce. But if they do get the divorce, here is how you need to handle the situation. 
Some commentators would even point out that this is primarily, and I'm not totally convinced, but many point this out in their commentaries, this is, the, this is to give some protection to the woman, if nothing else. But certainly it's not saying this is licensed to divorce and here's why you can get a divorce. It's not there. So that's why I'm saying I take it there. It's a wrong interpretation which leads to wrong application. I mean, I can cite Bible verses ad finitum ad nauseum and just go through life and do all kinds of things and cite Bible verses just because they mentioned the word. It doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold water. It's just a regulation. It's not permission. It's not affirming divorce, I think, is the main thing you need to see there. Classic case, I think, of playing fast and loose with the Scripture. And again, what does it always lead to? Bad interpretation leads to bad application, which leads to sin. That's what it leads to, but I can justify it. I think that's what we do all the time, frankly. We use the Bible to do things like that. Well, we need to move on, but I think you need to see that they're, they're misusing the Bible. He's not going to let them do that. He, what he's going to do is give them the right verse to go to. Hey, don't try to prove your divorce and it's okay. Let me give you the right verse to go to when you're dealing with this issue of marriage and divorce. A proper scripture. And that brings us to the second way Jesus answers the divorce question. The second way he answers the divorce question. We're back in Mark chapter 10, verses 9 through 6. And that is by expressing God's plan for marriage. They're going about it the wrong way. They're saying, Jesus, what do you believe about divorce? When's it okay? They should have been dealing with the issue of marriage and how important is marriage. That's what Jesus is going to do. Uh, So I'd like to maybe say this sermon shouldn't be entitled uh, The Divorce Question. (laughs) It's The Marriage Question. uh, Because that's really what he's trying to emphasize is the positive. Interesting. He will contradict their view. He will, uh, excuse me, he will contrast their view with God's view and he'll use Genesis 1 and 2. And he will point out very clearly, God's plan is one man, one woman, forever. One man, one woman, forever, till death. Now again, we're going to deal with issues of divorce and remarriage and the, the times when that may be able to be done. But we're going to do that next time. Let's leave this and let's let it have its teeth. Okay? Let's leave the teeth in this. And I think too many times we want to take away from this. Uh, let's just let it sting if we need to let it sting. We're going to read verse 6 in a second, but let me give you what Matthew says in the parallel account. Before you read verse 6, look at verse 6. And Matthew, dealing with the very same statement here, before we read verse 6, says, Have you not read? You guys are trying to go to Deuteronomy 24, but have you not read? And then it says in verse 6, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. He's saying, Haven't you read Genesis? Haven't you read God's plan for marriage? You guys are trying to proof text your way out of this. Have you not read? But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Verse 7. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. Verse 8. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What a stinging rebuke. You're just letting them have it. Haven't you guys even read Genesis? You Pharisees that know everything about the Bible? He really lets them have it. Interesting, that word cleave... The Hebrew word for cleave oftentimes would refer in different contexts to gluing or cementing. It's something that's inseparable. You can't separate the two. They become one. Uh, They're together. And that's what you're supposed to be. One flesh as a married couple. Inseparability. Indissolubility. Nothing short of death is supposed to separate the man and the woman. 
I like where one commentator said this. Listen, marriage is not a contract of temporary convenience, which can be readily broken. It's a covenant of mutual fidelity to a lifelong union made before God. That's right. Well, now let's notice Jesus' commentary. He quotes, he's talking about Genesis, but Jesus even adds to Genesis. The only one, by the way, who could ever do that because he's under inspiration unless someone else were. Notice verse 9. What, there, what therefore God has joined together, literally yoked together, let no man separate. Mark it down, folks, and don't ever forget it. The pastor doesn't join the bride and groom together. The justice of the peace doesn't join the bride and groom together. God joins the bride and groom together. His, it's his divine institution. Started with Adam and Eve. He's commenting here on Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve, first marriage, and guess who united them in holy matrimony? God did. We can't forget that. We, I, we can't forget that. And I, I'd say this, this is why divorce is so serious. It's, it's ma- very serious. Think about the sin of divorce. I don't want to rate sin and say one sin is worse than another because any sin is enough to offend God. But this is why I think divorce is, is high-handed sin. It's blatant, flagrant, arrogant, in-your-face kind of sin. Because the Bible is so clear that God is the one who takes one man and one woman and He joins, joins them together for life. God joined them together. So what am I going to do? Getting a divorce. I just talked to someone recently and I said, that's a pretty high-handed sin. You're willing to do that? Uh, it, was, it was no pastor that joined you together. This was God. And so you're saying, God, you were wrong and I'm going to abandon the relationship. I thought, what is coming out of my mouth? Well, it's, it's studying this passage and it's just amazing. Uh, anytime I'm doing premarital counseling with anyone or if somebody's having problems, I want to go here and say, remember, remember, this was God's deal. This wasn't, this wasn't my deal. It wasn't whoever married you's deal. This is what God did. So you better think long and hard before you do anything about it. It's no wonder, is it, that God said in Malachi 2.16, I hate divorce, says the Lord, your God of Israel. God says, I hate it. Why? Because it's maybe not one fist, maybe two. It's harsh that we would do that. Isn't it interesting how radically different the world practices? How different the world is from this whole thing? Totally different. The world is so different on this. Listen to this. This is uh, from a man, John Adam and Nancy Williamson, in their book called Divorce, How and When to Let Go. Quote, Your marriage can wear out. People change their values and lifestyles. People want to experience new things. Change is part of life. Change and personal growth are traits for you to be proud of. Indicative of vital searching mind. You must accept the reality that in today's multifaceted world, it is especially easy for two persons to grow apart. Letting go of your marriage, if it's no longer fulfilling, can be the most successful thing you have ever done. Getting divorced can be a positive, problem-solving, growth-oriented step. It can be a personal triumph. End of quote. And we all shake our heads. What God has joined together, let no man separate. I mean, that's brazen. I wouldn't like to stand next to that person. <laughs> that <couple. laughs> 
What I wish I could say is that the church at large is doing a much better job and has a totally different philosophy than that. It doesn't, does it? It makes me so angry and so upset to listen to so-called Christian radio and so-called Christian counselors. I don't do it. I don't, I don't, first of all, I don't want to pollute my mind with it. And plus, I get so mad, I'm probably going to punch the radio or something and then I'm pugnacious and disqualified as being an elder. I don't know. <laughs> but you think, this is, this is filth. This is garbage. And it's all in the name of Christianity. I mean, we have all this technology. We have the internet. We have radio. We have TV. We're going to get the truth out there like never before. The truth isn't the truth. And it has an impact on people's lives. I don't get mad at people for doing a separation. That's a good thing. That's the counsel they got. It wasn't divorced right away, and who knows, it's still pending. But I thought, that's the wrong answer. That's not the right answer. Mark 10 is so clear on this whole thing. It doesn't mean they, might need, doesn't, they don't need help or anything like that, but the, the, the divorce thing is not an option at this juncture in Mark chapter 10. So far, the point of Jesus' teaching is don't talk about when it's okay to get a divorce. Don't talk about under what circumstances it's okay to get a divorce. So far in his teaching in Mark 10, it's marriage is between a man and a woman and it lasts forever. And regardless of what happens, that's where we have to start. And again, I feel like I don't even want to say this, but we are going to talk more about other things. There's more to this. I'm not apologizing for any of this, but there is more. I want to make sure you understand there's more. But what I didn't want to do was take the teeth out of this. I think we should leave stinging, saying, wow, God is really serious about this. And you can look at the positive side. God loves marriage. It's a great thing that He designed from eternity past in His own wisdom, and it happened in time with one man and one woman. He loves it. Because it's what he designed. It's a wonderful thing. It's his design. It's awesome. And maybe that's a positive way to look at this whole thing. But they're not looking at it that way. They're looking at it from the other angle. Well, I hate to do this, <laughs> but we're going to stop. Um, we need to stop. We need to look at the last way next time. And then what we're going to do is we're going to start looking at some other passages. But let me say a couple of things by way of preview. I don't want to leave you totally hanging. By way of preview... Get this. Please get this. If you're, if, just don't check out yet. But the forgiveness that God offers people, the forgiveness that God offers people that comes from trusting in Christ is just that. It's total forgiveness. This is not a shame seminar. Okay? It's not. Total forgiveness. And, and I know we have dear brothers and sisters in the Lord that have gotten saved and they have a clean past. Done. Over. Fresh. And so I want to make sure that as we look at passages in the future, you understand that as well. Praise God for that. He forgives me. Isn't that good? You don't have to walk out of here like this. Oh, I did the wrong thing. I was an unbeliever and I'm going to carry that weight on my shoulders forever. There may be complications for the rest of your life, but forgiveness is a wonderful thing. It's awesome, right? I mean, that should be exciting. That would make me, as an unbeliever, want to get saved. <laughs> I, want, I want those sins gone. I realize I've offended God, and I want to start over a clean slate, fresh. And that's what God does. The Scriptures talk about Him taking our sin and separating them as far as the east is from... Is that right? I'm doing right and left. East is from the west. I'm pretending like I'm looking at a map, okay? <laughs> they can't see it on the tape anyway. <laughs> I mean, that's good. And so I, I want to remind you of that. 
Also by way of preview, and we'll talk more about that, while the Bible never commands divorce, I would say the Bible never recommends divorce, there are, and I, I emphasize, a limited number of circumstances where God allows for divorce. Okay? There are those limited circumstances where God allows for divorce. And we'll look at some of those passages next time. We'll continue in Mark 10. We'll look at Matthew 5. We'll look at Matthew 19. We'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Again, broadening the scope of Revelation. We'll talk a little bit about uh, a Christian position. It's in uh, conservative Bible teaching circles. We'll talk briefly about it that believes there's uh, no divorce and no remarriage for any reason. Um, but I don't think that's biblical. I think that's not looking at all that God says in his New Testament revelation about the issue. So we'll look at those passages and work through it together. So let's end on an exciting note. And be excited about marriage. That's God's plan. That's why he's so serious about us messing with the plan. Uh, and so let's make sure we understand God has designed a good thing. And it's positive and it's supposed to last forever. And end on that, and next time we'll come and we'll look at these other issues. Is that all right? You ready to do that? You can wait a week. If not, call me. All right? And Phil will answer. <laughs> or Sue, maybe. Sue will answer, then Phil, and then I'll talk to you. I'm just kidding. Please do that. I'm totally sincere because these are serious issues. Um, so you can call me at home and my wife will talk. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. All right, let's pray together. We're going to sing a song and we're going to have a good fellowship. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. We do thank you for what your word says about marriage. And it's so obvious to all of us that we are incomplete as a man or incomplete as a woman. And it's so good to know that you've provided for us. Unless we have the gift of singleness, Lord, you've provided a spouse for us that we can spend a lifetime with and we can help grow and they can help us grow. And Lord, I certainly know that in my own life and I'm so thankful that we... Uh, do have completion with our spouse and you do offer that. Lord, thank you that you are a God of forgiveness, that you do separate our sin as far as the east is from the west and we have hope and we have new life in your Son, Jesus Christ, and it's so wonderful. And Lord, I pray that we would have a vital and significant ministry as we read those statistics tonight and there are so many divorces. Lord, I pray that we as a church would have a great ministry to those folks that uh, have had that in their past. Lord, I pray that we would have a good ministry to them to help them understand how God does forgive and help them to understand that He forgives any sin and to also understand uh, what the Scriptures teach so they don't have to have this burden that they need not have, that they can know and that they can be freed up to act biblically and live biblically and then if they're to get married again, to be married for life. Give us that good ministry, Lord. I pray that we would be a light in that way and that we would be a rest and a foundation for folks who, who really want that kind of help. Lord, we thank you so much for all that we're doing here and all that you're doing through us. pray we'd have a great time as we express our appreciation to Mike Holloway. In Jesus' name, amen.